Hey, welcome back to another episode of our Realtors for Life podcast. Joe and I, we always have, have lots to talk about, I think. Yeah, the uh, the podcast we just updated today, um, I'm just going to, just in case anybody's watching this on Facebook or Instagram, um, we just updated uh, all the sources that we're on for and all the um, different platforms we're on. So... In case anybody's interested, we're on Spotify, Amazon Music, Samsung Podcasts, um, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, pretty much anything that hosts podcasts. Our iHeartRadio, um, you can now search us up, which is your Realtors for Life podcast. You can look up Joe Conlon, Joe Conlon Team. Um, any of those keywords should be able to help you find it. Um, we're starting to gain some traction out there in Belgium. I Belgium. I Belgium. We are. We are. <laughs> so according to our analytics... <laughs> We're very popular in the United States, which is understandable because that's where a lot of those platforms are are listened to and watched. Yeah. But we're number two before Canada is Brussels. Bru- Jean Claude Van Damme is <laughs> hanging out in his house listening to Realtors wow. for Life. <laughs> Brussels, they love us. They really want to keep up on the Windsor State uh, Windsor real estate market. <laughs> no, but seriously, thanks for listening um, from from wherever you're from. Hopefully we've got some tidbits of information and things that we talk about that yeah, strike a chord for people that aren't even necessarily from this country, but but especially this region. Yeah, we were saying that we're going to try and um, broaden the scope of things that we discuss uh, rather than talking too narrow-minded and locally uh, to something more broad that people will be able to take value from mm-hmm. uh, moving forward just in real estate and real estate investing in general. Um We are starting to see across the province and country here, and I think it's starting to happen in the United States as well. We're seeing a softening um, coming out of this pandemic. People's minds are not focused on on investing and and where their money's at. People Mm -hmm. are starting to go out and want to do things and and spend money. And inflation's obviously a big problem right now, but um, the interest rate rate rises. We're definitely starting to at least feel where we're at, um, a softening in the market and way more houses starting to hit the market, whether that's just people finally feeling comfortable at the time of year to sell their home, or there's people, um, that are panicking a little bit to sell their home. And you and I talk about all the time with these, um, these articles that are coming out, I think a little bit of fear mongering going on there and it'll be interesting to see how this all plays out for sure. Yeah. Um, I, I find it really interesting to think about, um, the time that we live in and the access that we have to information now versus what we had 10, 20, 30 years ago, I think that plays a big part in um, collective mentality, right? Like I think that access to information, that sort of all Mob reaching, um, you know, information media that, that, that hits everybody at the same time. And it's, it's got this, it's got such a broad scope now that I think when you start reading all these articles and you start seeing, you know, people's different perspectives on social media um, in your face every single day and you're you're watching everyone else's experiences along with your own, I think it happens a lot more quickly than it would in the past where we where maybe we would have seen a really gradual mm-hmm. slowing down of this craziness that we've had in the market in the past. Now, I feel like when everyone consumes all this, you know, media immediately, it can change perception, perception and things kind of almost on a dime. Yeah. I think before 
to get the masses to unanimously agree that the market was changing, something catamalistic cataclysmic would have had to happen, right? Something something major that would have had to happen that would have gotten headlines through newspapers and articles that then would have had everyone assume that the market would be changing. But now all it takes is a couple social media platforms or a couple news articles to come out and basically start putting these ideas in people's heads and then people start Googling um, it. They start podcasting it. They start blogging it. They start writing about it. um, And next thing you know, it's, it's the hot topic. So we can go from the hottest real estate market we've ever seen with no inventory and without an in-between just overnight flip of the switch. We have tons of inventory and um, things have changed quite a bit. I don't think it's necessarily a bad thing. And I think honestly, um, it's this flip of a switch sort of thing has already been happening, but in the opposite way for the last couple of years, right? Like when we flip over from 2020 into 2021, when we flipped over from 2021 into 2022, it was like, it was like an overnight instant thing. It was like, Oh, prices are going to be up 30% now just right. because it flipped into January. And it was a tough market to navigate because <clears throat> buyers would say, well, right. what, what do you think this house is going to go for? And we'd be like, this market is so new to us. We have no evidence because all the evidence we right. have is based on the year before. Yeah. And now it's the same on the reverse effect. It's yeah. somebody goes to sell their home and they say, well, what do you think it's worth? And you're like, well, I only have the last two or three months to go yeah. off of, which was a crazier market. That's not the market we're in. So it's going to take a few months to, to find our new norm. Yeah. Um, based As on it always does rates. when yeah. things switch. I, I think um, people just need to remember that um, one of the things that was contributing to this really depressed um, supply of homes on the market was that everything was getting so crazy that people were afraid to list their home first and then, go out and make a purchase after they had already sold their home because they were afraid they weren't going to find something because there weren't enough homes on the market. But what that did was that contributed to this lack of supply that we have so greatly because everybody had that same mentality. Well, I'm not going to list my home first because I I haven't found something that I want to buy in a long time. But if everybody thinks that way, now there's no homes on the market because everybody relies on everybody else to try to make like find right. a home, right? Because you have to list your house for me to see your house to want to buy your house and if you're not listing your house and i'm not listing my house that's two houses that should be on the market that aren't right and these right? people that aren't weren't listing before weren't listing because they were waiting for listings to come up right. but those listings were also waiting for listings exactly. to come up um but now i think these articles are helping people kind of rush to the market because they think they have some sort of deadline now um, that they have to sell and the rising interest rates people are locked in with their interest rates for right. maybe only 120 days right. so we're seeing a, a we're seeing chaos from both sides the sellers are panicking to try and retain their their high prices buyers are rushing in trying to get good prices um, but in the end the market the market will dictate i think in time we'll, we'll have an idea of where this really really truly ends but it's still hard to predict where we're at it's like I think we're still in a seller's market, but everything going on makes it feel like we're not. So we are in a seller's yeah. market in in the statistical sense, yeah. Because I think you and I just literally looked at the stats about ten minutes ago, and <laughs> and uh, one month, one point one months of inventory is what we have right now Up in from Windsor Essex. Point five six, and I think it was even lower than that at one point. Yeah. So so for anyone out there listening, months of inventory basically means. Uh, the number of homes that you have on the market right now today, if you just took that number and no new listings hit the market, how long would it take you to sell through all of those properties on the market? A seller's market 
is anywhere basically, I think, three months and under. Mm -hmm. So if you didn't have any new listings, if it took three months to sell all those, that's still considered a seller's market. And we're still at one month of inventory, which still shows that we're in a pretty it's double what we were pretty at. strong seller's market. So when you think of how low we were, double seems significant, but yeah. Um, significant compared to where we're at and that's why we're feeling a bit of a softening but things are still selling very quickly so things are still getting multiple yep. offers we're still seeing prices that are fairly high um, but we're also seeing ones out there that are finally looking to be reasonable and I think buyers are starting to use their heads a little bit more than they were which is a good thing yeah like it really is a good thing we're not seeing um, as many of those one-off crazy offers anymore um, we're seeing people do their homework and feel comfortable in in, in putting in something that looks like it's more around market value. Um, and we're starting to see the return of conditions in which is certain nice. offers, which honestly, I, it's a breath of fresh air. It is. Yeah. And I, and I know that there's some people out there that think that, um, that realtors love, you know, to see no conditions and quick sales and quick this and that. But literally from our perspective, like we want the best for our clients and we want everyone to be protected and we want sales to go um, through from start to finish. We don't want to see things fall through. We don't want to see lawsuits happening. We don't want to see, you know, these crazy stories that you've heard out there happening. Conditions are something that we put in offers to protect our, our buyers. And now we're starting to see some of those things return, which is, yeah, which is great. Um, looking here in the last seven days, we had 340 new listings on market in our area, at least, um, and only 164 sold. So we're seeing half the amount um, that is hitting the market selling. So we're, we're, we're doubling the amount of houses in the last week that have actually then that are leaving the market um, canceled. We've seen 105 in the last week canceled. Now canceled is most likely people taking their house off market to relist it again because they didn't get the offers they want, which is yeah. showing us a lot of houses aren't getting those multiple offers anymore. Um, last week we saw the same thing. We saw about double the amount of houses hitting the market than that were selling off the market. Um, and if this continues for a few weeks or months, um, where every week we're doubling the amount of houses that are leaving the market, um, we're going to have a lot of inventory, which is going to help out buyers, um, quite a bit over the coming months. Did now. you, did you hear or read anything about what they're doing? Um, what they're trying in, in the BC real estate market right now? Um, a cooling off period is is coming mm. into effect for every transaction yeah uh, now there's probably caveats to that i i'm sure yep. i haven't i haven't read in in great detail but BC's i know always had a lot of weird rules bc also and i'll let you finish that sorry but bc also had rules in the past that were like um you can't you can't double end deals yes even if it's the same brokerage yeah yeah, yeah. so if, if it was a royal page listing right a royal page agent couldn't bring a buyer or it was considered a double-ended deal even if you were from two completely different uh, mm -hmm. brokerages and, but what if you're um, in a brokerage that's like half the market it, right, I would, it would make right. me not want to be with that yeah, brokerage. that was that was the yeah you'd see a lot of micro brokerages fracture off and, yeah. and you'd, you'd get a lot of people starting their own little deals just to keep he's been open. weird like that but but i don't think it's that weird of a thing i i have advocated for this in the past um with our team and with our with with other realtors and, and things it's like a buyer's remorse this. period so to me what it almost is is it's it's almost a forced conditional period where you know it levels this playing field of of okay you you know you can't make your offer better by saying you know i'm unconditional 
thereby forcing everybody else who wants to be competitive in that offer scenario to remove their conditions as well, which creates a really hostile, unsafe con um, condition for a lot of buyers out there who are stretching themselves to the top of their budget, who might only have 5% down, who might be willing to forego an inspection because they don't feel like they have the money or enough time to do it on every house they're writing an offer on. Um, so it's this forced conditional period where, you know, it's a cooling off of, I don't even know, I think it's like five to seven days or something. Um, where you you can allow yourself to have the time to get your financing together to make sure that the bank. But if they gonna... do it on every single offer, then it's not going to hurt you to have this like this this rule. Right? It's going to protect. In my opinion, it's going to protect everybody. It's going to protect every buyer, and it's mm. going to put you in a position where, yes, as the seller, you may have to wait an extra five to seven days for your house to be sold firm. But if everybody has that same, mm -hmm. you know, conditional period on every sale, it's not going to hurt anybody it's going to make sure that it's probably going to result in less deals falling through right and mm -hmm. i'm sure there's a lot of realtors out there in in bc and maybe even a lot of people who have gone through the buying process that might have different opinions on this actually having gone through it and seeing what it's like in practice but to me it sounds like a helpful thing for people who want to be protected yeah i see that do you know I, what i mean i'm also wondering <clears throat> on certain instances where you have to have a house sold within a certain time period and if you're getting close you'll just have to incorporate that that buffer period basically into yeah the yeah i mean i don't know how it's how it work, it's going to work with actually having real conditions in your offer or if somebody's going to be able to say yeah we know there's a seven day cooling off period but we still don't want any conditions in our offer and that still makes their offer strong like they're not going to get an inspection done in that seven day mm -hmm. period there's probably going to be ways around all of this and it's just going to muddy the waters a little bit but i think it's a step in the right direction because in the past, I've said, why is it not just government mandatory for everybody to to be able to go for five days and, and make sure that their financing is good? Why are we putting ourselves in this position where it's like, okay, you got to give me a cash offer. And I know it's not a real cash offer because I know you need a mortgage. And we're all just going to cross our fingers that your mortgage is going to get approved after you purchase this house. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think I think you're right though. There's so many people that are just <clears throat> rushed into a situation and they're like, I like this house, and the next thing they you know, they're they're writing an offer, they're told they, you know, conditions have to be waived if they want to have a chance to and then next thing they know, they wake up in the morning and they're like, There's no room for that buyer's remorse. Right. So it's not a bad idea. I mean it will drive sellers insane, um, and maybe some sleepless nights. But it protects the buyers. Yeah. And I think it I can argue that it protects everybody this, in the long run because yeah. You know, there are scenarios out there where where people aren't willing to take conditions because they're they're worried that the person who puts an offer in on the house is going to pull out within that conditional period. Well, wouldn't you want that person, that buyer to be able to legally pull out within that period yeah. as opposed to, you know, finding out two weeks before closing that they couldn't secure their financing or you know, they, their circumstances had changed and they really didn't want to make that purchase. And now you're le left with the option of either suing them or, you know, rushing back to market and hoping that you can close on something before your next purchase. It's just, it's just a protection. Yeah. It's a protection, protection. And I feel like it's a protection that we've gotten so used to people not having, um, that it seems a little bit foreign to us, but I, I, I like it. I like knowing that people are a little bit more protected. There's a Personal. lot, lot of rule changes coming. Investors, um, I 
think needing to possibly put 40% down. Mm-hmm. That's, that's another one. Um, what do you find with all these changes? I mean, you, you and I have been in the, the business long enough, but what do you find the hardest thing about this job is, is it the constant flow of like having to keep up with the changing markets? That's what, that's what and, I was going to say. And curving people's expectations on a constant basis. That's, that's exactly. I find that to be the toughest. Answer. Yeah. Especially in, in today's day and age, and I think this is going on all over the world right now. I don't think it's just a specific Ontario or even Windsor um, issue. I think markets are changing so rapidly, whether they were going up rapidly or whether now we're starting to see things decline um, you know, quite quickly in the short term. Um, yeah, like think about every single time you sit down and talk with somebody you know, a potential client, somebody who's thinking about making a move or a purchase or even a sale of their home, you know, we have our finger on the pulse and it's even hard for us to keep up with what's happening in the market. Imagine somebody who doesn't have that flow of information coming in from being on the MLS every day and doing, you know, deals and talking to other agents every day, going back to them the next week and being like, oh, you know, by the way, values have all changed. This has changed. You know, conditions are a thing again. You know, all these things. It's really hard to keep up people's expectations um, to what's truly going on in the market. And and as a result, I feel like it can take away from what might be perceived as our professionalism Mm -hmm. because there is no hard and fast answer for somebody on a lot of these things. It's it's something that's in flux all the time. And we have to try to be up on it enough that we can tell you what's happening in the market in that snapshot of time. So and you've it's got to, like trading you know, stocks. House, you've got to housing is housing's like a stock. It's right. always changing. It's 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 dependent on what's going on in the world. It's depending mm-hmm. on what's going on in the economy. It's depending on what's going on locally. Um, and we have to keep an eye. Every area is different. One area of town could be doing better than the other. Yeah. Um, and or some big project could be coming say like the ev plants and then Mm -hmm. next thing you know one area town starts growing a little faster than the other or some goes down a little bit because it's backing onto an ev plant or what it might be and to always constantly having to be updating our clients and keeping our our finger on the pulse like you said is is probably what i think to be the hardest part of this uh, of this job um and battling against um public perception especially in today's day and age i'm i'm i find that can be a really tough um because people want people people want someone to blame when things aren't going their way all the time right like it's 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 human nature you want you want to be able to put that you know bad thing that's happening to you onto somebody else so that you have that release of of emotion that you have and and i find that um people in this industry and realtors and um, you know, the bank and the government and everything is, is always an easy release for people. Um, and, and there's definitely some, some, you know, bad apples out there in any of those industries. Um, but the, tr- the trick really is to find someone that you resonate with, right? If you're looking at making a move and, and, and buying or selling uh, a home and, you know, building a, a level of trust with those people. And, yeah. you know, we're not just out here looking to screw you. I promise. Like it's, you know, it's, that's a tough thing for me to, what, I'm noticing a big trend in the real estate world and any, any business really is, is the old school mentality of like a transactional person where yeah. it's all about numbers, sales on the board. 
um, people going in. It's like their quotas that they mm-hmm. want to hit. And it's, it's turning more into um, the culture of, of the business uh, as well as the, the customer experience. And right. I find that clients and people are looking more for the, the experience than just, than just the deal itself. So like, for example, when we, uh, when you first get in this business, you're in this corporate atmosphere, everybody's like, yeah, you need to cold call and sell and do all this stuff. And then you, you, the longer you get in, um, you start realizing what people are really looking for is just real. Like you, they real people, real, real. I have a real world example, actually, when I, um, when I purchased a car in Toronto, in uh, 2016, I went to a dealership with my wife, and uh, the first de- it was a Mazda dealership, and the first one we went to it was a very hard sales tactic. It was like that old school car dealership, like you talk to the one guy, and and he's telling you everything that it's going to cost you and everything, and then you're trying to say, well, you know, I don't, I don't want to pay that much that like, this is what we're looking at and this is why. And then, oh, I got to get my sales manager involved. And then the two of them were basically like grilling us and being like, you know, you need to buy this right now because blah, blah. It was this hard sales tactic. And we walked away, like we were ready to purchase a car, but we walked away from that dealership being like, I would never mm-hmm. purchase a car from, from those people. And the way that they just dealt with us now that like, that's, that was terrible. And people sniff it out real quick. And then the next day, we called another Mazda dealership in Toronto, Mazda. across the city. Mazda. Yeah, that's my that's my Saskatchewan <laughs> in me. Um, across the city, and we went to to that dealership, and we sat with a young guy who was probably, you know, in his late twenties, and he sat and he just he just said, "Tell me what's going on." Like the very first thing he said was wasn't a sales pitch. It was like, "Tell me what's happening. Like, what do you what do you want to get out of this?" And he and we told him everything we wanted. We told him everything that happened at that other dealership, and he just listened the whole time. He didn't try to like mm-hmm. shove stuff in our face. And then he said to me, and 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 I'll remember that this is just a car dealership car salesman guy mm-hmm. that I'll still remember to this day. He had the same name as me. His name was Steve, and and he said, "What what do we need to do?" earn your business and and like that mm-hmm. the way even the, that he worded it earn earn your business not not get your business or what do we need to do to sell you this car or what do we need to do what 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 can i do for you to to earn mm-hmm. the business that you're that you're trying isn't to it, give to isn't my that funny just a few words make such a difference right yeah and then and then we told him because and then shows he, their intent. and then he left the room for a bit and then he came back and he said yeah i can make that work for you like it, it was he didn't come back with a manager and try to hardline us into oh well you know this is why we can't do all those things you have he just came back and he said yeah we can we can do that for you for the same car for the same exact things we were asking for at the other dealership that they couldn't do hmm. so it's it's amazing to me because people you're right people want an experience they want a, a true relationship even if it's just somebody who's on the other end of something that you're buying people don't want to be sold people don't want to be talked into something that's the thing is like the more i'm in this business i'm like it doesn't feel to me at least it doesn't feel like sales like right it's it's a customer service business like when i'm i'm out helping you find a home 
if there's an issue with that home, I, I, I will tell you about the issue. And if you don't want to buy that home, we'll go find you something else. I don't feel like I have to sell them on any right. particular thing. Right. When I'm selling a home for my client, I'm more of an advertising agency because I'm advertising your home to get people through the door. But once people are through the door, they're coming through privately with their own agents for right. the most part. Yep. They're going to write what they want to write on on paper. So the one more the more I'm in it, I'm like, I'm more of a customer service representative on the buying side, mm-hmm. and I'm an advertising agency on the selling side. And when it comes to sales, like sitting there with a pie in the oven saying, you need to buy this beautiful house, like people sniff that shit out so fast. Yeah. And it's more about, if you want to be good at selling houses, it's more how good are you at marketing? Yeah. The marketing is the selling. It's not like, come on into my used car lot and let me right. try and sell you. Like it's it's not, it doesn't, at least to me, it doesn't feel well, like that. Well, I think there's, a, it, there's definitely a generational aspect to that. I yeah. think... Um, if you go back to someone who is maybe used to doing that and if that was the way that they purchased their first car and their first home and their first and their second home and things and they, and that is the experience that makes them feel comfortable there you know there's still a place for that but i think you're going to see that phase out and i've seen it in other industries like people you know when airbnb came out people didn't want the hotel experience anymore after yeah. that because it was a very it was like you were talking directly with the owner of that property and that guy was making sure that your stay in that property was perfect because he knew that you were going to leave a review mm-hmm. for that property and that was going to be used on the next it's one the and the next one. It's, it's the, experience. the experience. He creates yeah. an experience. When you got into an Uber for the first time and they mm-hmm. offered you gum and they had bottles of water in the back seat for you. Oh, do you want a, a, a car charger for your phone? Hook it up. You know why? What well, taxi cab I wonder would ever do that if, I wonder if also the experience... Thing is coming into play because people can easily throw your business under the bus through social media. hundred percent. So can. everybody's on on eggshells with social media now yeah. and understand that customer service really matters because before, which is a great thing for consumers. It's great. It's great. Right. It's we don't have no longer do we have to just accept yeah. the dredges of these business of these uh, enterprises. Yeah. Because we're forced to because it's like well. Yeah. I, I have to go there's into five that. star reviews yeah. now there's google reviews right. there's facebook reviews people are at the mercy of public opinion now more than ever because yeah. anybody can have a bad review and go and put type 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 send world sees everything yep. and so now it's forcing everybody to really focus on customer service and and the culture and in the atmosphere that they're providing and if you're not getting the experience that you want yeah like that you, there's someone else that's going to give that experience yeah. and uh and I don't see that as a as a bad thing at all. I actually love that. I love that that I can give somebody a great experience, and then that word of mouth is going to yeah. travel. And eventually, over the course of my career, my goal is to have that kind of customer experience. Yeah. Said about me from every from everybody, and and maybe that means that I'm that I'm not out there doing you know fifty to sixty deals myself a year. Because I feel like if I was doing that, I wouldn't be able to give that level of service. Maybe that means I'm doing a little bit less, but every single one that I'm doing mm-hmm. is creating that better experience and, and having people walk away going, man, like, I feel like we're friends. It's, it's true. Yeah. I've walked away from a lot of people that I've helped thinking, man, we're, like, we're, we're friends with each other now. Like, we could call each other up and, and have a beer on, on the deck. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and I cherish that kind of a relationship with every single person that I, that I get to work with. So 
uh, on the experience front, have you? What's the worst, um, most embarrassing moment you've had in, in your career so far? I have a few. Um, I have a few. I can go first if you want. Yeah, you go ahead. I I haven't had a ton of like super embarrassing things. Happen, oh my god, but... I'm an idiot. I the <laughs> first the first one was my first client. I I ran into her over the weekend actually. Um, she never bought a house with me. I don't. I, I I still to this day think her dad told her not to use me after, but um, she says it wasn't true. I I was 22 and I took her to a house with a hot water boiler and there was a hot water tank in the basement but i think this was my first time ever even seeing a boiler system i think it was like again my first client so one of my first houses i live still live with my mom and dad and i was down in the basement and the dad said do you know how old the furnace is but he meant boiler but he said the furnace system right so i'm looking around the room and i don't see a furnace i couldn't (laughs) find the fucking furnace so i start checking the hot water tank and he goes, that's, that's a hot water tank. And I just remember being so embarrassed that he asked, I, I didn't know the difference between boilers, hot water tanks and furnaces. <laughs> and that was probably the end of that. Now he did call me back to sell a house for their family like five years ago. And I think one of the first things he said with me, uh, to me was, I would hope you know the difference between <laughs> a furnace and a hot water tank now. But that was, that one woke me up. Pretty yeah. Quick. I don't have anything specifically, um, you know, like that because I, I started in this business like it, when I was 33 so I had a pretty good handle on what a furnace was at that point in my life <laughs> but like I would say that there's just there's scenarios sometimes where like I've definitely we've walked in on like people fully sleeping in, oh, yeah. in beds like yeah it's like just we, embarrassing we for realtors. them that's just it's embarrassing for them but it is also embarrassing for you because the immediate chain of thought that comes from that from your clients is like we're not supposed to be here, mm-hmm. right? Like, did you book disappointment? Did did you like? Why are we in here right now? If this person is mm-hmm. sleeping, like we, I showed a house once, and it, there must have been nine people living in this house, mm-hmm. and they clearly didn't give a shit that we were coming or there, and like, like they, they were guys coming out of like the bathroom just in like little towels. No, and like yeah, and and like just like help like just like like laying on the floor on a mattress like in the corner watching god knows what on their computer and somebody in the kitchen cooking up something real fragrant and like just like like all happening in the same house and it's just like okay like obviously i went to a house once and i was meeting my clients at an open house and i got there a little early and i went to the open house before them and i came up front to meet them and she walks up with her friend and i was like oh hey how you doing She's like, good. I'm like, I already walked through the house. Honestly, not a bad place, except the neighbors are a little sketchy. Her friend was the neighbor. (laughs) This is legit. Oh, my God. So her friend goes, oh, I'm uh, which neighbor? And I was like, this one. And she goes, I'm I'm that neighbor. And I didn't know what else to say. So I just went with it. And I was like, wait till you see the backyard. You look kind of (laughs) sketchy. And so we went in the backyard and her like, garage was like rotten off and then she had like garbage all in the backyard and she she kind of laughed it off and was like yeah i guess it does look kind of sketchy but that was pretty embarrassing because i that's a foot in your mouth moment right there still a good client of mine but um, yeah her friend may never use me the last (laughs) one is i was in the county and i was waiting for my clients i had never met this client in my life i went up to the door opened the lockbox, went to unlock the door and dropped the key and it went under the porch and so i took my dress shirt off and i had to army crawl under this deck 
and it's just thick mud. And as I got further and further, it got narrower and narrower and I'm army crawling (laughs) and I'm reaching and I almost got stuck and they pull up and I, they're like walking around and I'm like, I'm under the deck. deck." And I come out and I'm just covered in mud and hi, I'm Joe. Like there's my first time ever meeting them. It was more funny than embarrassing. It's just stupid, but lots of, I mean, no one really, you know, knows the process of what they're doing when they first, no start in this in this business some I of think those there's... i feel like weren't even that long ago yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um i want to tangent off a bit because this is something i wanted to bring up today it's a little off topic to what we've been talking about but um i want to talk about side hustles a little bit because like side hustles in just in general in, ge- well, in general um so i have a lot of friends um family and honestly the majority of people i know who work on a hour by hour, day to day basis. They're an employee of somebody and they're not, yep. they're not self-employed. So they don't have the freedom of necessarily like, for example, in a, in a certain job that you were, you're self-employed. If you want to go on a real big vacation or do something, you can, you can work a little bit harder that year or do something to gain a little bit more money by just working harder and putting more hours in. Maybe but, doing a little overtime or yeah. something. But you're, if you're an employee, if you're an employee of a corporation or a business, um, your your hours can be limited and your income can be limited, right? You, the, some people have the option of working overtime and things like that, but some places they don't. So a lot of people have side hustles and things that they work on. And I'm, I'm very pro real estate investing. Obviously, it's it's my background. It's what I understand. Mm-hmm. So whether, whether their side hustle is this or that, I, I think I wanted to talk a little bit about that today. But the main one I wanted to get into was um, flipping houses or buying rentals. A lot of people think that they can't get in because they don't make enough money or they, they just can't afford it. Sorry, they don't make enough money or they, they just don't know how it works or they, they think they can't afford it. So... With the ben- the benefit of this market growing, a lot of people are like, well, I can't get into the market now because the market's grown so much. Well, if some people out there listening already own a home and the market's grown, they're, they've made a lot of money in that equity, mm-hmm. right? So instead of letting the equity sit there, there is ways to put that equity to use. And a lot of people listening may already be real estate investors or yourself, um, and they, they know what the Burr method is, which is... Um, buy basically you you buy it you renovate it you refinance it you rent it and then you repeat so i think this is a great method and this is something i really want to talk about because there's a lot of opportunity out there for people to make money out of basically thin air um and it just takes a little bit of knowledge on what they're doing um and to go out there and and implement these and right now we're coming into a market wherever you are whether it's ontario somewhere else in canada and i think even the u.s and the u.s is even way more affordable i was just looking at the average state's sale price so i'm going to give you an example here and i'll do my best in the video to like when i make the video to to kind of put the numbers in over my head so people can have a visual of what i'm talking about but so first off if you own a home and you bought it a few years ago and you were one of the lucky ones that were able to buy a home for a lot less than what they're going for today, um, you probably have a decent amount of equity in your home. And if you have an appraiser go out to your home and get an appraisal done and do a refinance on the home, you probably have a good amount that you can borrow um, to put down on something else. So, Because a lot of people say, well, I can't afford another home because I don't have a down payment saved or I don't have enough to do a renovation. Well, if you have equity in your home, and again, this is situational because you'd have to have some you'd have to have some equity. But if you have, say, about one hundred thousand dollars 
in equity in your home, you could pull this off. So I'm just going to give you a scenario. Um, if you bought a $350,000 home that needs a little TLC, it still exists. There's houses between 350 and 400. We see it all the time. Yeah. And usually those houses are either smaller or larger needing some work. Right. So if you find the ones in decent locations that just need a little TLC or work, and again, this is a, this is just an example. Um, the down payment needed on a $350,000 home would be $70,000. Okay. Closing costs, because this wouldn't be your first home, would have land transfer tax involved and in um, lawyer fees, which would be about 6000 And let's use a renovation cost of about 25000 because most houses that you're going to, especially on your first one, that you're going to flip or renovate, you're going to do more just cosmetic touch-ups. Yep. So lipstick, paint, trims, doors, and floors. Um so 70,000 plus closing costs and renovation costs, you're just around $101,000. So total invested needed is 100,000. So you're temporarily borrowing it out of your current home. You put the down payment of 70, you put your closing costs in and you, you renovate the home with a $25,000 budget. If you can create a home with a $25,000 budget from 350 to say, and now a new sale price of about 475, which is very, very doable. So in lots of areas, um, where you buy houses that are 350, many houses in those areas are going for 475 or more. Yeah. The only difference is they just show nicer, they present better. Right. So if there's a situation where you believe with 25 grand, you could turn a 350 house into a 475 with the expertise of a realtor, somebody who can give you guidance on what those houses would sell for finished. Again, this is just an example. Um, at 475, um, you could refinance it after that. So once you, you don't have to sell the home. So the part of this flip and the burn method is you do not have to go sell the home. So basically once it's, once you have it done, um, you have an appraiser come out, you refinance the home. As long as they agree that it should be worth around 475, the bank will lend you up to 80% of value of that right. home. Okay. So 80% of 475, I believe is like 380 something. Okay. Okay. But if you bought the house for 350 and you put 70,000 down, your mortgage would only be about 280. Right. Okay. So um, I, I typed this out here. So I'm just going to kind of read off of it as I go. Um, basically, what would happen is the bank would allow you back your money. Uh, let me, oh, do I have, I don't have my phone on me. Let me pull out a calculator here really quickly here. So if I had a mortgage, if I bought this house for $350,000 and I put 20% down, which was that 70 grand. I would have a mortgage of 280. Right. Once I'm done renovating it at 475, if the bank were to lend me up to 80% of value, that means they will lend me up to 380. But I already owe 280. Okay. Yeah. So that means they'll they'll cut you a check for two a uh, hundred thousand dollars. Right. And if you remember that hundred thousand dollars is the seventy thousand you put down, it wasn't your tw your twenty thousand twenty five thousand and your six thousand dollar closing costs. You're off by a thousand bucks. So the cool thing about this is when you refinance it, you don't just get your renovation money back. You can get your entire down payment back. Take that 100000 and go put it back down on the home you borrowed it from originally. So now you're $0 invested in this home. The money that you borrowed from, you've now refinanced back out of this house. Okay, But now you own a piece of real estate that your mortgage would have now gone up from 280 to 380 because you just rolled it back into that mortgage. But that 380 house is worth 475. Right. So you just created a hundred thousand yeah. dollars. Your money is back yeah. in your pocket, and you keep that home, and now you renovate and you rent it out. So breaking down a rental, the cost to carry 
Variable rate right now is 2.75. On a $380,000 mortgage, that would be $1,900 a month. Taxes roughly about $200 a month on a home that size. And in, uh, insurance about $100 a month. So the total cost to carry would be $2,200. A 475 home, at least in the area we're in, you could probably rent anywhere from $1,800 to $2,000 a month. So you would lose maybe two to four hundred dollars a month. So your cost to carry this home would maybe be about yeah, two you're, to four hundred. You're, you're, you're net negative. Negative, negative yeah. cash flow. So two to four hundred dollars a month. I went and looked up the average sales of an Ontario from 1990 until now, and we have averaged over the last 32 years four and a half percent. So using a very conservative appreciation rate of 4.5%, which is the average since 1990. Now, lately, we've been seeing 20%, 30%. Which, I, is, which isn't sustainable. It's not going to continue. No, but I do way. see higher than 45 yes. in the coming years, at yes. least in our region, for things that are coming. But right. in general, 4.5% is a very conservative rate. If you take a house that you, you believe to be worth 475 and you apply a 4.5% year-over-year growth, for the next five years, you would make about $116,000, okay? Your mortgage would be paid down roughly about 45,000, totaling $162,000. I'll take out the deduction of your cost to carry, which was that two to $400 a month you were losing every month because yeah. you were paying it. That works out to about 24 grand over five years. You take that out, you come out net positive about $138,000 works out over a course of five years of $2,300 profit per month. Now you have to remember, you started with one house, temporarily borrowed a hundred grand out, put that money to work, refinanced it, got the hundred back, put it back to where it came from. So now you, your, your money's so never yeah, been touched. Right. Now you have somebody renting that home for the next five years. That home has now grown in value um, and created wealth for you of about 138,000 at a conservative rate. Um, and this is, and this is what you do now that with the Burr method, you also can repeat that now that you've grown equity in that other home, you can borrow money out of that and you can invest it, take the money back, put it back in and continue that cycle all the way down. Um, this would have to be situational as far as you'd have to find the right property. You'd have to have some sense of renovations and know what you're yeah. doing to be able to pull it yeah. off. Um, you would have to have some equity in your home and own a home. So this isn't for everybody, but people don't realize, even though you're working a day-to-day -day job or an hourly job or a salary job, your income isn't fixed. If you own a home that's grown, there is side hustles out yeah. there that you can do and re-input that money to work. And if you can add another $2,300 a month income just in appreciation by owning real estate, I think it's huge. Um, obviously, this could be hard to follow. So if anyone ever had questions, I'm happy to help walk them through this. Yeah, I I've, think the main thing is... I've done this. Yeah, I've, I've watched you do it I've done on this, a lot of properties over, I, over the I'm, years. I have... I've done this probably close to 10 times now. Um, I, I think, I think, uh, and obviously it gets easier the more you do, sure. right? Because you understand the process. And I also work think, in the business. Right. Yeah. I think the main thing that, that really keeps people from doing this is just a lack of understanding. And did you follow that? Like, okay. Like, of course. Yeah, yeah. 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 I mean, I mean to like, to sum it all up, it, you know, the main thing that you want to take away from this is it's not going to increase the mortgage on the home that you're 
first pulling that equity from because yep. you're replacing that equity with the money that you've made right. off of that next property, right. right? And you're putting it back. And you're now, putting it back. Now it does roll into your new property, yes. but you have a tenant that you would rent that out to right. that will pay for that. And your only monthly costs you're going to add to your, the only cost you're going to add yeah. to your monthly is maybe that two to 400 bucks. Right. But, and your tenant will pay the utilities. That two to $400, you're like, yeah, it's an, if, as long as you can afford the 200, $400, the appreciation will cover it. Sure. Yeah. People and don't think that. And, and that you know way. what's funny? It's it's not even just the appreciation that you can count on over that time. When I, the way that I would look at it too is, okay, this is maybe costing me two to four hundred dollars a month, but somebody else is paying off the mortgage on yep. that house every and while single it month while it appreciates. Yep. So. Yep. You know, it might cost you a little bit of money, but what you're doing is you're setting your, it's like you're, it's basically like a a massively accelerated retirement savings plan. Absolutely. And not every scenario, let's say it didn't appraise at 475. Right. Let's say it appraised back at like 425. You still get a good chunk of your money back and the other 50 is just sitting there rather than into your home. One way or the other, it's sitting in a mortgage. It doesn't matter which way you look at it. And if you're lucky enough where you can come out net positive... Well, now you've created three sources of income, your appreciation, your net positive, and the mortgage is being paid down without your own money. So you've now taken something that you always had, created something you never had. Now you have two properties growing in value. And the last thing I want to mention is if you go buy a stock tomorrow and put 10 grand on a stock and the market goes up 10% every year, the market's going up 10% on that 10 grand every year and then again if it goes up from 1100 up right it, it's only on that initial investment right right if you go and buy real estate and you put 10 grand into real estate your your growth isn't on the 10 grand it's on the full Purchase prices price, price of, the of the home right. so if i go put 5% down on a property at 500,000 that's 10 grand well, uh, yeah sorry 25,000 yeah. yeah yeah sorry yeah. If I go put uh, uh, 5% down on 500000 and it's $25,000, my growth isn't on the $25,000. If the market goes up 10%, it's on the, fi- the 50000 which is on the five hundred. Yes. Yeah. So a lot of people don't realize, they, they think so short-term, like, oh, I don't know if I want to spend this. I don't know if I want to move this. But if you really look at the big picture, you are creating a massive amount of growth. So yes. if... By doing this and moving some things around, you've now created two properties. So if the market goes up four or five percent every year, it's not on your one property; it's now on two full yeah. full properties. And if you continue to do that, you're not again you're creating you're creating wealth using the bank's money essentially. Right. And as long as your tenants that you rented out can cover the costs, you can do this over and over and over yeah. again. Now, obviously, not everybody is cut out to be a landlord and right. or wants to take that on because that. it can be a very um, you know, demanding thing when you start to build up a portfolio and, and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're having to deal with the day to days of, of tenant problems and things like that. But, um, there is management companies. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's property management companies that can help with that. Um, but yes, it is, it is one of the safer and most lucrative investment, um, ideas in the world. And I don't know that that's ever going to change because right. as the as the population grows on the earth and um, you know land is a finite thing and developable developable land is right. even more finite than land and um, so yeah as the as we get as especially as Windsor you know in our in our own little pocket here as we grow and we're going to be growing a lot in the next five to ten years. 
um, it, it, land becomes more of a premium and it's a really, really, really safe investment if you can get into the market. That getting into the market is the big one. Yeah. yeah, sometimes you might have to pull some money together or get mom and dad to help co-sign um, just to get your feet wet. I had to do the same thing when I started. Yeah. I had it a co-signer with our uh, with our parents. Um, the one thing I wanted to uh, going into the risk factor when you buy it for three, when you buy that investment property for three uh, fifty, and you put that twenty percent down, well, that's your that's your safety buffer right there, right? So you had the mortgage of two eighty. And then people are like, well, if I roll it back into my mortgage and bring the mortgage back up to 380, um, does that put me at risk? Well, no, because your house is now worth 475. So that 20% is still there. And that's why they only loan you up to 80% of the value to keep that 20% buffer. And you got to remember, if the market drops 20%, that's like, that's pretty historic when it comes to Mm -hmm. when it comes to drops in real estate. And usually if something like that were to happen, it's fairly temporary. And as long as you continue to rent it out and can continue to rent it out, your risk is still fairly limited. You, you can't, if if you invest into a company and a company loses stocks and shares, you're kind of shit out of luck to, to have any kind of say in what goes on there. But at least if your real estate goes down, you can rent it out and there's something that can sustain that for you until it can, until it fixes itself. Um, but historically, real estate continues to grow, and the and the downfalls are very short lived. Yeah, I think I think what the majority of people out there who are considering purchasing a home um, for just for themselves to live in, what what you have to really remember is you're not buying this home to uh, try to make a quick profit on it. You're mm-hmm. buying this home to live in, and like you said, historically that home is going to go up in value over the course of time that you're living there, right? Yeah. Like we're not going to see five years of straight decreases in prices because that's just, it's historically proven that that's not, that doesn't happen, right? Because like I said, land is a premium. It's It's a safe investment because more people, more demand, not enough housing, it's going to appreciate in value. So just don't don't keep yourself out of the market because you're afraid that you're going to buy at the wrong time and the market's going to take this massive drop and it's just going to keep dropping and now you're going to be, you know, in over your head for forever. It this is a this is a, like you said will be a short-lived thing if you do see a drop and over the course of time that you're living in that house your house is still going to appreciate in value absolutely That's... and there's there's one last thing I, I forgot to mention when i was in there um talking about the 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 growth on that on that investment that hundred and sixteen thousand that you made in appreciation was on the 475 that's not including the hundred you've already made right. by increasing the value so you actually didn't make 116 plus the 45 paying down your mortgage it's 116 plus the 45 paying down your mortgage plus the 100 you added in value in the beginning. And the nice thing too is all the all the money you put into that property, that 25 that you invested, is also a write-off back as well when it comes to the tax purposes. Your lawyer fees, your real estate fees, all those things are write-offs when you're doing these. Um, and if you do these only once in a while, um, you only get taxed on 50% of the capital gains that you, you right. do. So uh, as of right now, as unless, of right, the, I was unless just the rules say, change, that's something that they made, they may revisit yeah. and, and change. But so again, to recap, you didn't just make a hundred grand on flipping it. You also made another 116 plus the 45. So you actually made in about five years on investment like that over a quarter million dollars. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and that's at a conservative four and a half percent. Yeah, and that's not unattainable. I know people think that you have to have, you know, all this money to do it. But but if I mean, especially in in our area here, if you bought something five years ago here, the equity that you have on your property here, you're you're, you're probably getting close to tri- triple the va- yeah. value of what you what you paid for it. So that you have, even if you only put five percent down, you have this massive amount of probably like 60 to 70 percent equity in your home yeah uh that that money is there for you to to use Mm -hmm. and like you said it's not like you're taking that out of your primary residence and just increasing your mortgage by that much uh, amount of money and now you're screwed and you have to pay a thousand more dollars a month you're borrowing it from your equity temporarily temporarily to make this new project work and then you're replacing it. Yep. And then a tenant the pays the, the bills right. for you. And it's, then it is it a grows. daunting thing for people who don't know uh, the ins and outs of it. And we're always more than happy to sit down with anybody to to sort yeah. of talk them through these these um, kinds of things. Because whether you're from this area or not, right? Reach out to us. Um, go to joeconlin.com or yourrealtorsforlife.com. Um, your Facebook page. Yeah, send us a message and and ask us questions because we love talking about this stuff. And these are just, um, you know, little solutions for people who are looking to break out of their day-to-day nine-to-five, right? right? To to grow wealth. To grow wealth. And if you look at at some of the most Mm -hmm. um, successful and, and wealthier people in the world, really it it really stems from from real their real estate portfolio and right. and the investing that they did through that because i can tell you right now i mean you might get lucky hitting the right cryptocurrency at the right time but that's like playing lottery right um same thing kind of goes for a lot of the stock market um but but one of the things that's a much more sure fire method is to put your money into something like real estate there's only one earth that's <laughs> true until they start selling real estate <laughs> on, on Mars, Mars yeah. uh, which will eventually Elon. happen. Elon. <laughs> um, but no, this was good. I think this is a good spot to, uh, to end it for today and we'll catch everybody on the other side. Um, sweet. Peace. Peace. Peace.